Hello, friends. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Kenton. This is Rewild University's Unleash Your Life podcast. Hey, Kenton. Hey. May I ask? Why I have a book on my head? Yeah. Sitting out here on the deck. Right. Cross-legged in meditation posture. Right. In the cold. Right. Oh, I nodded. It almost fell off. Got to be careful here. Yeah, you should because that's kind of an old one. Yeah, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. One of my favorite books. Well, this helps with posture. I thought you already had good posture. Yeah, a lot of people say that, but this maybe is going to make it even better. Mm. And I'm hoping for a little bit of what is that? called um things just move from one body to oh osmosis yeah oh you're gonna absorb through osmosis right right of course have you actually read zen flesh zen bones does osmosis go up would that be reverse <laughs> osmosis if it goes down so the book is actually getting things from you should I be sitting on the book doesn't it cross over <laughs> i don't think you should sit on the book oh i have read this book many times i'm kind of sitting out here with a bunch of books that are some of well our favorites. Yeah, well, hey. Been meditating on them. Didn't somebody ask us? Yeah, somebody hey said, what's on your bookshelf? Oh my gosh, there's so many things on our bookshelf. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and that's not even all the books we have, I'm sad to say. We don't, can't fit all our books on our bookshelf. And that is after some massive book oh, downsizing. Huge, huge. It's just oh like, oh my gosh. Get rid of it all. Yeah, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. That. This old copy, here, I'll take it off my head. Can yeah. I look at it? Yeah. This one's been with you a long time. You have to be kind of careful with it. It's I do. I see the binding and... is having a little issues here. That was on my mother's shelf. Does she, she know you have it? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> Boy, Mom, if you're listening, uh, um, gosh, <laughs> I've got your copy of Zen Flesh and Bones here. <laughs> She'll be like, oh, that's where it's been all these years. <laughs> if she studied philosophy. Oh, I love my mom. I love your mom, too. She's so amazing in so many ways. I mean, she studied philosophy in school. And I wonder if this was from from college. Ooh, so it says it's days. the one that's compiled by Paul Reps. Yeah. And I think, so there's, it says first printing and then sixth printing. And that's 1963. So, wow. Tell me about why this one is here still. In a way, this might have set me off on my whole spiritual adventure. Because there was this mysterious book. And I'd heard of Zen, but really didn't know what Zen was. And I'd open it up and I'd read these stories. The first half is stories, and then there's koan, and there's a really deep part in the third part of the book. But And it just, it goes on. But anyway, the first parts were the ones that I was really concerned with as a kid, and, and still my favorite parts. Okay, wait. So what age were you when you started? I don't know. Ruffling through these pages. You know my or childhood rifling memory. Or riffling. What, what is it anyway? Uh, riffling. That sounds the best, at least. Reminds me of a wiffle, a wiffle ball. I'd rather wiffle. I mean, oh, it made me say wiffle. Wiffle through the pages. I'd rather riffle through the pages. I think we should make that the technical term. I'm just wiffling through these pages <laughs> while I eat a waffle. Okay. I don't want to be mean or anything because I just think it's super adorable. And I know it won't last, but that's how Liliana would say it. I know. Wiffle. She's she's a five and she's not going to talk that way forever. I know. Okay. Where a bunch of those letters are all W's. I know. 
All right, so whiffling through the pages, how old were you? I don't know. I must imagine probably when I was 11 or 12, I started peeking into this mm-hmm. book, maybe even earlier. And the stories were so mysterious. And the coolest thing is that over the years, the stories changed. I'd read the same story and it would have a completely different meaning. Sometimes it was almost mystical as the years went on. I would read one story, it would make no sense at all because some of these stories make no logical sense whatsoever. (laughs) And then it would make perfect sense. But I couldn't explain to anybody how it made perfect sense. It just made somehow perfect sense. So this is after you come back to it? This is after numerous times. So I'd read this book and then two years later I'd read it again and a year later again. And I kept coming back to it. And sometimes the stories would change their meaning in really profound ways. Mm-hmm. Some of them have a very obvious meaning, but almost all the stories have this these layers of depth, an onion skin layers of, mm. of ever-deepening realization if you keep thinking about them and letting them stew and percolate in your brain. Wow, I love it. Maybe I should read one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay this one is called Right and Wrong. I don't know why. This one always makes me want to cry. Oh, yeah. So I'm just going to sit over here and not. I'm such a softie. It's sweet. Okay, here we go. When Banke held his seclusion weeks of meditation, pupils from many parts of Japan came to attend. During one of these gatherings, a pupil was caught stealing. Mm. The matter was reported to Banke with the request that the culprit be expelled. Banke ignored the case. Later, the pupil was caught in a similar act, and again, Banke disregarded the matter. This angered the other pupils, who drew up a petition asking for the dismissal of the thief, stating that otherwise, they would all leave. Yeah, sounds reasonable, right? When Banke had read the petition, he called everyone before him. You are wise brothers, he told them. You know what is right and what is not right. You may go somewhere else to study if you wish, but this poor brother does not even know right from wrong. Who will teach him if I do not? I'm going to keep him here even if all the rest of you leave. A torrent of tears cleansed the face of the brother who had stolen. All desire to steal had vanished. Wow. That's a pretty good one. I love that one for many, many reasons. It's really a neat illustration of a lot of the stories in this book that ask you to look at life differently. Yeah. Consider your responses, your reactions, that initial kind of pop-up window that our culture teaches us, and to step back and say, hey, wait a second, maybe there is more to the story. And of course, we all have more to our story. That's the thing. When you walk past someone and they look like they're glum or whatever, and you make that initial judgment, they have so much more story than you can see. You know, at the end of this one, instead of action points, I feel like these are gems. Let's take a gem from each of these books. Awesome. And instead of action points, we'll have gems at the end. One from each book. Oh, I love it. That'll be great. Little things that we've learned or things that stand out. Yeah. Right. One of the many, because each of these books has a lot to offer. What's our next one? What else do you have out here? Well, this one was a gift from our dear friends, (gasps) Murray and Madonna. I used to write a regular newspaper column, Mm -hmm. a nature-based newspaper column down in Menominee, uh, Wisconsin. And one day, this, this couple, they were... 
I think in their 60s at the time, maybe, or yeah. something. Yeah, because that was a number of years ago. Yeah. Before we even had children. Before we had children. Yeah. We've known them so long. And they said, we love your articles. Oh, it was so neat. This was like after article number one or two. Yeah. yeah and they I had think written it was just to after us. two articles. Yeah. And they said, oh, we just love this. And we have some land and we would love to meet with you. We really love nature. We love talking about nature. We want to share with you some of our prairie restoration project that we have going. And so we they, got together for tea. They make fabulous food. They brought us up. Right. Gave us this feast. They are the best in the world oh, oh my goodness we won't even get started and from there it's blossomed in this beautiful relationship where they over the years have had us again and again to their home to show us their beautiful flowers and their prairies and and share food with us and, and stories. great stories they oh, have some my gosh, great, great stories story. great nature stories but anyway they recommended they, this book they they gave us that gave book. us this book yes and what's special about this book, Those of the Forest by Wallace Byron Grange. It says, The Natural History Classic. Oh, and it's a winner. The Burroughs Medal. Wow. This one's been around for a while, and it's, I think, a really important read for anybody who's really interested in nature. What's cool about this <laughs> is that it's completely from the perspective of wild creatures. It starts out with snowshoe, snowshoe oh. hare. And throughout this book, we're in the perspective of the animal. Now, some could argue, well, of course, that's going to be doing a lot of anthropomorphizing. But you almost believe you're really in the mind of Snowshoe and experiencing the world through the eyes of this rabbit. Wow. Hey, can I look through it a little bit yeah. while you're talking? Here. <laughs> Thanks. So you're telling me that this whole story, which is actually a really awesome story, is... Never through the eyes of a human. I There's love no humans that. in this. I this is all that. out in nature. So it's the interaction of this entire ecosystem and the creatures inside of it. You learn so much about nature and you realize that there are other than human perspectives. Right, in other the world. beings on the planet. I wish somebody would write one from the tree perspective. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I found something I wanted to read. Okay. All right. Throughout the forest, in the almost unceasing snows of February, the wild things live closely with hunger, accepting it, as they must, as a part of winter. The specter of hunger is due, in most instances, not to actual lack of food in the forest, but to the difficulty of obtaining it, and to the risks of predation. An ample supply of food, if it be buried or dare not be touched, is no food, and death. Even the woodpeckers, jays, grouse, and other birds which have a forest full of food must frequently forego eating temporarily, lest they be snatched quickly into the predator's world. Mm. That's just one example of how this book sweeps you into that world. Most of us think, oh, okay, in the winter animals have to really work for food. But realizing that there's a lot of factors that make that up. It's not that the food isn't there, but it's hard to get. And sometimes to go get it requires that you get out of cover. So right. Snowshoe here has to go out of cover sometimes or make run from one place of food availability to another and that run across the open field is dangerous yeah and sometimes i suppose trying to go get the food is more dangerous than dancing with that hunger death sentence yeah right so man that makes me have so much respect and awe for the animals that live in well animals everywhere actually but tell 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 the story about the snowshoe hare 
and the island. Wasn't it Brett who saw the snowshoe oh, hair? Not snowsho- in the winter. Snowshoe hairs are really tough to see. I love snowshoe hairs. I wish I could see one in the winter. Wasn't this in the winter? Was it in the winter? You remember you were playing, we were playing a game on the island. Right. So this is something we do with forest monks. And it's kind of a really cool manhunt game. There's this little island and a person gets a little bit of time to go there. You can hide if you want in one place or you can try to move around the island. But the idea is that you want to, for a half hour while everybody else comes onto that island looking for you, to not be found. Brett was hiding down under this tree and just very, very close to where he was. He probably could have reached out and touched it. Out came this snowshoe hare. It's very tough to get close to an animal like that. They're hyper aware, but he was laying so still and so concealed. And I bet he was in his mind, actually that's gonna maybe be one of our gems, I bet. Yeah. In his mind, he was, had become log. He had become those of the forest. Those of the forest. (laughs) So he had a secret glimpse into their world. So something that can happen as we, well, with forest monks, for instance, as they get more just softened of mind, connected to nature, become quieter, more immersed. Oh, there are so many encounters that our forest monks tell us about and that we get to experience here, living so close to the woods and the forest. And it is really magical when you get to encounter other beings Mm. kind of on their level yeah so wow (laughs) fabulous okay what else do you have well this one i ask almost all the forest monks to read i think everybody should read this we've even talked about this in our a couple of our podcasts i think yeah actually you've heard us talk about amit sud md he's doing what He's with the Mayo Clinic. The Mayo Clinic Guide to Stress-Free Living. And I have to point out, because you can't see it, there's this person all in white clothes, and it's got, like, the quintessential blue sky green grass, but this person's doing a cartwheel. It just gives you kind of a happy feeling at the very first... Here, let me check this out while you talk about it. So uh, what I love is that he is he's a neuroscientist. He very much pays attention to the science that's been done. As you start to delve into this book you get an understanding of how your mind works from a neuroscience perspective. But at the same time, he's very versed in mindfulness. And so he ties those together beautifully without ever getting dogmatic. And you start to really see, this is what my brain is doing. I think I'm in control, but here's these these cycles that my brain goes through, these default mechanisms that I wasn't even aware of. And suddenly I have a glimpse, an insight into the inner workings of my mind. It's such an awesome book. I want to read a little excerpt from it, but so part one is the brain and the mind. That's where you learn a lot about how that functions. There's attention training in part two. There is, let's see what else is in here. It's pretty awesome. Oh, refining interpretations, how we take in and interpret the world and then refining what those are. Gratitude, compassion, acceptance, higher meaning, forgiveness, tribe relaxation and reflection and all of this has that kind of viewpoint of his where he's really studied things and he yeah he has he has a program at the mayo clinic so it's not just learning about it from a student perspective right this is practical stuff he tells you exactly how to get in once you see how your mind works and to shift it up so that it's working for you instead of against you. I would put this in my like top three recommend to read ever all-time books. Oh, yeah. So here's a little excerpt, a little blip 
uh, under a section called Making Judgments in a Blink. Guess how long it takes to form an opinion about others' trustworthiness, competence, aggressiveness, attractiveness, and likability. Ooh, ooh, I bet it's not long. Okay. Five so, seconds. Okay, so all of you <laughs> listening out there, put the number in your head, no cheating, okay? So you look at somebody, how long does it take you to assess whether this person is trustworthy, attractive? All um, of those, all those snap judgments. All those snap, okay. How long does it take? Got your numbers? Okay. According to research by Janine Willis and Alex Todorov at Princeton University, the answer is one-tenth of a second. One-tenth of a second. And people feel confident about these judgments. Mm. The researchers wrote, We imagine trust to be a rather sophisticated response, but our observations indicate that trust might be a case of a high-level judgment being made by a low-level brain structure. So I think... I'm a good judge of people. I look around. I can I can judge people well, but it's actually happening super quick One on tenth. default mechanism. One tenth. My it brain is. has already decided for me. It's a default. Yeah. Boy, and if you have ingrained patterns of thinking certain things about certain types of people or certain circumstances <sighs> or events that happen to you, boom, you uh. don't even you're not even deciding for yourself. So it's really neat because then he goes on to talk about ways that we can transform this. This whole book is just really amazing. Uh, love it. Okay. I mean, we can go on with books forever. How about we just do like two more books? Okay. This one is A Northwoods Companion, John Bates. Now, probably nobody's heard of him or this book because this is a local book. Mm. Hey, I see that it says fall and winter. Is there a spring and summer? Yes. Okay. And the f- main reason I love this book, and I, and I think it's important to realize wherever you live, is that there are local authors. Oh, yes. I think this guy is self-published. This is not the book you're going to see on the big book lists and the bestsellers. Sometimes we can miss out on local gems because he explains things about this ecosystem that we live in right here much more intimately, much more in-depth, much more personally than any book that's selling really well. For instance, Ecosystems of the Upper Midwest. Right. That tries to cover so much ground and be broad and generalized. But here, he's just focused on right up here where we live. This is like talking to a super intriguing, interesting neighbor who happens to be outside all the time. And what I love is Okay, it's totally a bathroom reader because (laughs) it has these little sections and he's just got little musings and he's got little, um, you know, one or two pages that's about orphaned bear cubs or uh, what's this one? Get yourself some brown fat talking about mammals and their non-shivering thermogenesis. All kinds of different cool things out that. here. I'm gonna have to read that. The again. snowshoe yes. hair cycle, and and each of these isn't too long to read, so you can just sit down, read a little bit, put it down. You don't have to even read it in order. There's this really cool part here about insects. It says nearly all insects must allow their body temperatures to plummet. Some insects, like some trees, have the ability to super cool by purging their bodies of impurities around which ice crystals could form. They then synthesize glycerol, which allows them to chill down without freezing. So bugs can freeze, but they don't freeze is the weird, cool thing. And a lot of insects do this. It's pretty crazy. 
by changing the, the juice in their cell structure, what happens when our tissue freezes is the water in the cells right. essentially crystallizes and those sharp crystals poke out and destroy the cells and you have tissue damage. Bugs get around this and bugs can freeze all winter long and then they wake up. It's so neat. Makes me think of the woolly bears that you see in the fall. Oh, yeah. And then a lot of times when you're trying to put your garden to bed or whatever you're doing outside as it's getting colder, you find them all just huddled up someplace. And you're thinking, what are you doing here, little bud? Like, what's going on? You're going to die and freeze to death. No, that's not true. I think, I'm not 100% on this, but I think they need to freeze. No way. Through the winter and then... In the spring, they go through the rest, rest of their metamorphosis before wow. they become a, oh, I should know this, a moth of some kind, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I can't remember what it is. We might have to figure that out. Okay, so you're telling me this guy, he's got a spring and summer too. Wherever you live, go and check out some of the books that are being written by local authors because they have this guy in here. It's so neat. I can't tell you how many times he'll say, well, I talked to my neighbor so-and-so who always skis whatever trail and she said she saw right, a <laughs> right. hummingbird early this year oh that wouldn't make sense because she's skiing but you know what i'm saying right exactly it's you're really gonna find neat. out things about your environment there's local writers all over the place even if it's a local fiction author they often are going to write with elements from the right place Where that you, you live in so yeah. if it's in the city and you're reading a local author even if it's a fictional city in a dystopian world there's probably elements from your city hidden in there and you might learn some things that you didn't know. Finding those local authors is a little bit tougher, but if you ask around or hit local bookstores. Yes, go to your independent bookseller. Yes. Absolutely, and support them. Okay, we have time for one more. Ta-da. Ooh, the continuum concept. We read this before we had yes. our our first baby. Who is, that? Who is that by again? I'm not going to try to pronounce her Why name. Why not? But Jean... Jean Leidloff? Leidloff? Well, Leidloff? let's say that. Jean Leidloff. L-I-E-D-L-O-F-F. You can pronounce it how you want in your head. You should just read the back okay, okay. this one. Read the back. Okay. Jean Leidloff, or Leidloff, or however we say it, an American writer spent two and a half years deep in the South American jungle living with Stone Age Indians. The experience demolished her Western preconceptions of how we should live and led her to a radically different view of what human nature really is. She offers a new understanding of how we have lost much of our natural well-being and shows us practical ways to regain it for our children and for ourselves. It, this book... It's, it's radical. It's, if you are attached to your cultural upbringing, you think it is the only way to live in the world, don't read this book. It'll just no, piss no, you off. No, no. Read this book. <laughs> Seriously. We want to expand our, our understanding. I think you have to have a pretty open mind to read this book because you're going to read a lot of it and just say, uh-uh. Well, right. I guess you need to read it in an open-minded fashion. She goes to South America, and I think it's a couple different tribes that she, she kind of travels around with and lives with. But what is really neat about it is she is able to go into these places with these indigenous peoples who are still living that way and notice where her Western, like it said, her Western preconceptions are standing in the way of her being there and being yeah. happy. And she, of course, she talks a lot about kids and how they're included and raised within that tribal culture and they have a sense of belonging. They're treated with respect. They're treated as though they are human beings who 
can understand things. They don't need to just go off and play. It's like, here's a knife. Help me cut up some food for dinner. Okay, could you tend the fire? And they're running and playing while the men are sharpening their knives and spears. And it's so different. I think we've used a lot of this in our own upbringing of our children. For instance, our kids, they really want to help in the kitchen all the time. <laughs> they're crowding us. <laughs> I'm like, okay. trying to help out in the kitchen. You can help. <laughs> and as parents, it can feel like, oh, come on. I just want to get the meal done. Right. And that's sort of the Western way. Could you get out and go play with your games oh, while I do the right. cooking? It's all about a sense of urgency, efficiency, need to get to the next thing. How often are we bypassing the present moment in order to get to some future? I think we just talked about this in our yeah, last podcast, so. right? But what they want and what becomes fun is if we can slow down enough to include them in part of the process. If you're not comfortable with your child teaching your child how to use a knife, there are kid safe friendly knives that aren't going to hurt them that they could cut up something simple like a banana or a cucumber for your older kids teach them how to cook i mean what a great skill we get a lot of forest monks who come here and they've they never don't know cooked. how to cook they have to learn from scratch out in the woods over a campfire <laughs> nonetheless so and the pride that they take and i'll tell you if you have picky eaters out there include them in the cooking process there is nothing like the pride that they have in helping Mm. Make the meal as a family. I notice when our girls help, they eat way more because they made it. Yeah, that's really true. I think one of the core takeaways for me from this book was the idea that children want to be part of the tribe, of the family unit, of whatever it is. They want to help out naturally. But we as parents, with our Western training, kind of nip that in the bud. We kill it. And then later on, we're trying to get our children to come right. and help when we've already extinguished that be that natural behavior in them. So you get to see a lot of how the way we do things is kind of backwards. And this, of course, is it's all about rewilding. It is. It's totally a book about rewilding and about checking in with our own inner nature to see what feels right. Do we need to do what the culture says? Or do we do what feels right and works for us? So, wow, you have some awesome books. There's such a variety of them. Man, I want to go back in and look at all the rest of our books. This could be, we could do some future podcasts with doing this. Yeah, yeah. this is fun. We could always just occasionally pick like five books off our shelf or yeah. something. That would be fun. <laughs> well, I suppose we should take a moment to talk about our sponsor. Let's do it. Awesome. And today we'd like to introduce you to Darren and his family, friends of ours who run Wild Homesteading. Yeah, that's at wildhomesteading.com. And I walked in the other day and you were looking at this awesome, it, it's not like an ebook, it's a, not a packet, but a, um, a toolkit, right? Yeah. That they have this, I'm just, we're doing books and I'm thinking of this is like almost like a book kind of, although it's not that long. It, it looked so neat. Yeah, I subscribed to his newsletter. And then the first thing I got was this um, foundation toolkit for wildsteading that gives all this great information about how to get started. And the whole concept here is wildsteading, which is a kind of a new way of thinking of homesteading. Okay, so the idea is that this is possible for anybody. Darren and his family, they have a great website with just such inspiring pictures. They've got their, their little guy there out in the dirt and it's sweet. Yeah. But the thought is that you don't need to have acres and acres of land. Right? He, he started on this whole concept on an apartment patio. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. And even their homestead now, I think, is three acres. So often we have this idea, if we're going to start a homestead, and this is a dream for a lot of people, right? Yeah. You're going to go, you're going to live out there, you're going to be so independent, you're going to have food um, growing, food sovereignty, you're going to be you know, growing your own food. And, right. And this wonderful feeling of being close to nature and the animals. And, ah. But you imagine that you need... 40 acres to yeah, do it, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of acreage, a lot of money, that this is going to be tough to do. And so Darren and his family at Wild Homesteading are trying to change this whole idea. I mean, obviously, apartment patio, you can do a lot <laughs> of things. What I love about what they're talking about is the wild part, which yes. is bringing in native plants in your area alongside all of the other things that you're growing and not only do you get to have these wonderful local native plants but you're also supporting the pollinators i mean it's a great collaborative it is between humans and nature often we think if we're going to garden this just means that we are going to get rid of all the quote weeds (laughs) and we are going to plant the useful plants like tomatoes right not if you're us (laughs) <laughs> I think no. our garden last year consisted mostly of milkweed. <laughs> We're like, don't touch the milkweed. I know, the monarchs need it. And well, we want to eat it. Right, yeah. <laughs> the monarchs need it and we want to eat it. That's kind of, we need like a little t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing with them. So realizing a lot of those weeds are actually really useful plants. And he takes it a step further to say, can we take native plants that are also edibles or could be used for dyes or other useful things and bring those into the system and of course other just wild plants he's not just into things that are useful but what's going to create a healthy ecosystem right if you have pollinators over there on a plant that may not be edible or you can't eat or anything it's still going to help with the pollination of say your apple trees yeah this is incredible it's almost a little bit like the wild forest gardens that we've heard about only Mm -hmm. it's making it a little bit more accessible for everybody yeah and i just love this idea so check him out wildhomesteading.com sign up for their newsletter get one of these toolkits it's so exciting the nice thing is he breaks it down and he makes it easy in a step-by-step process so you feel not just overwhelmed like uh well where do i start right you really feel like oh okay here's somebody that's doing it and i could do this i could do it too and it's clear that he is very passionate about it it's wonderful to go get resources from someone who really really is excited (laughs) wildhomesteading.com we are equally grateful to all of our patrons who make this possible. You are amazing! (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) And we're so (laughs) delighted. Just thank you. I mean, what can we say? We say this every time and we truly, truly mean it. Yeah. It's literally, we would have to be doing something completely different in our life. We would not be able to give these podcasts and these videos to the world if it wasn't for you. If you're listening and you want to become a patron, we would be so grateful for your support. You can go to rewildu.com, R-E-W-I-L-D-U.com, and there's easy ways to sign up on PayPal or Patreon for monthly contributions to our work. Yes, or feel free to just do a one-time donation if that's what works for you. As always, keep the love coming, keep your comments coming, 
And boy, we're just so smiley because of you. <laughs> okay. Do I get to say it? Do it. Do it's it. time to unleash your life. And we are going <laughs> to present some of the gems, like one from each book. We, what was the first one? Zen Flesh, Zen, Zen Flesh, Bones. Zen Bones. Mm-hmm. When I think of that one and that story we read, I think of stopping to consider our reactions, especially towards people. Mm. Everybody had a reaction. That person's stealing. The only thing he deserves is to be punished. Of course. That's our cultural upbringing. Thief, we need to punish them. They're a bad person. But if we stop, we might see there's a reason that person is stealing. We don't know what it is. And with compassion and understanding, we might reach out to that person and help them in a way that punishment is never going to help out. All throughout our day, today probably, we're going to find that we react to people. Let's say you're at the office. There's a new person that's been hired and you look over at them and they kind of scowl at you. Obviously, they're a jerk. Right. Not nice. Not going to pay any more attention to them. There's that one tenth of a second. Right. Initial judgment. Not thinking maybe, oh, wow, this is their first day on the job. They're really scared and worried. Their cat died this morning. They had a flat tire on it's the way to work. It's that extra story that we all have that we're carrying around that no one can see. And we need those thought bubbles that we don't have to say it out loud, but people could just see, hey, if you only knew I'm really struggling because I just found out my mom has cancer this morning. Yeah. Whatever it is. I mean, if you could see that above someone's head and you saw them scowl or unhappy, you what would you feel? You'd feel compassion. You'd be like, I understand. But because we don't have those thought bubbles... And we can't see what the person's deeper story is. We make that initial snap judgment that's probably totally inaccurate. So today, and we see one time when we have a reaction towards somebody and stop and question, could there be something behind that reaction that I am not aware of? And then if we're very courageous, very exploratory, go over and engage that person and see what's really there. We might be surprised. Maybe our judgment is correct. That's fine. Pat ourselves on the back. Our judgment was correct that time. But at least for me, I found that often my judgments were not online with what was actually going on. Yeah, I think we don't need to always fall into that immediate pop-up window reaction. And like in the story we read, he was stealing, right? Mm. Does that mean that we then have to follow the direct line of, okay, you steal, this is what happens, you get punished. Or could we have a different way of approaching that as well and allow for the other person to grow, expand, and change how they are? Number two. Those are the forest. Those are the forest. This is back with snowshoe hair. This is just remembering that there are non-human perspectives. We're so locked into being human that we can forget that There's all these other creatures and beings in the world. And they're experiencing the world in ways that we probably can hardly imagine. Oh my gosh. Because they're so amazing ways. So so different from the ways that we're experiencing. I can already think of books I want to suggest. (laughs) Okay. So this reminds me of one of the times, it was in the beginning of our friendship when I I didn't know you super well, but we loved to go for hikes together. And that was kind of the basis of our friendship was we loved exploring nature together. And I remember we were hiking off trail someplace and we were having a conversation about animal encounters and how amazing it is when you get close to a wild animal. And I remember something you said, and it always stuck with me. And it's very much along these lines. You said, 
Well, sometimes when I'm out hiking or just in nature, I like to settle down and I find a good sitting spot and I just imagine that I'm some kind of old stone or a log covered with moss and I've been here so long the leaves have kind of blown onto me maybe I'm growing a little tree and that's what I imagine I am and the beauty of that was that you were saying take yourself out of I'm a human here in the woods and imagine that you actually are part of that woods you like have been there you know what I'm saying I'm convinced that we humans have almost a mystical ability to slip out of our humanness and into a deeper beingness. That's maybe what Brett was doing mm. when he saw the snowshoe hare. And we've had many experiences where we have uncanny encounters. Absolutely. With non-human beings when we are in that state of stillness. It's a neat thing, and I highly recommend giving it a try at some point. Number three. That was the Mayo Clinic, Guide to Stress-Free Living. Yeah. This is... Realizing that our first mental or emotional reaction is often created by low-level brain structures, by autopilot, we often call it. Those reactions are the bricks that create the buildings that are our larger, broader judgments Mm -hmm. about the world. So we can think, oh, it doesn't really matter if I look over at a person with dreadlocks and I have an instant judgment. But that's one little brick that's creating a structure of judgment inside of myself about humans in general. Pretty soon, I'm operating under these large, broad brush generalizations and judgments that remove me from direct participation with life. And our media plays on this big time. News, outlets, everything, they know how our brain works. These are smart people. They study the neuroscience. They pay a lot of money to people to make sure that their programming is triggering parts of our brain. Our brain can very easily be triggered, building up bricks, and then basically we are placed into a state of judgment. So that makes us step back and say, well, if I believe this political thing, or I believe this about that that person that's in the news, is that really my judgment? Mm, That's a good question. Or has this been built for me without my knowledge? Because... All they have to do is trigger those little one-tenth of a second judgments. Those build up that building of judgment inside of me. And I sit here thinking, ah, I'm in control. I believe this. I know this. But it's been given to me. We so strongly identify with our beliefs sometimes that we believe we are our beliefs. But we are actually creative, intelligent, compassionate, open-minded creatures that are able to train our brains and retrain our brains any way we want. Mm. So when you have that one-tenth of a second judgment, my thing is try to just notice it. Say, oh, I just did that judgment thing. (laughs) Man, it didn't take me long. And then get a little curious and say, hmm, maybe I'm wrong. Let's see what else I can discover about this person or situation. Number four, I'd like to broad brush this one. Speaking of broad brushing (laughs) things, and say the Northwoods Companion, our local author, Getting local, not just with authors or books, because there's that wealth of knowledge from local authors, but in this world where we can buy anything on Amazon, you can get online and learn anything. What happens if you want to learn something and you go talk to the professor at the local university? What happens if you want to buy some socks and instead of going to the 
mega super uh, mega store (laughs) (laughs) you go to a local person that is knitting them by hand farmers markets all kinds of local opportunities csa community supported agriculture get local food there's people raising local meat if you eat meat there's lots of different options and what a joy to be able to create and support community number five the continuum concept i think this fits in with what we always say at the end stay on your rewilding journey this is one of those books that challenges us in our our western civilization Mm -hmm. concepts pretty radically it hints that we have come to identify with our western civilization cultural concepts so strongly that we can start to believe that that is the only way humans maybe have ever lived and certainly the only way humans are capable of living this is the best way for humans to live we're not seeing that we can look back in history and say well that was really backward (laughs) pretty guaranteed that we will look back in history at some point at the way we're doing things now and say that was really backward i think we could even do that in the present day time (laughs) i think we can do that if we look carefully right so i think with this book to me it calls us forth to remember that rewilding journey, to ask yourself the deeper questions and to not just jump forward with, here's my answer, I already know it, or this is what the culture says, that's what I choose, but to really stop and pause and say, what do I believe within me? What do I feel is calling me forth? And what do I think is the right answer? And and it doesn't mean you have to accept everything the way it is or you have to totally change everything the way it is but just start to get to know what you believe within you and let yourself come forth with the answers that is rewilding getting in touch with our inner wisdom wow (laughs) thank you so much for coming to join us again this is amazing (laughs) i just i want to just picture all your faces out there but i don't even know who is listening right now whoever it is hello (laughs) We're so thankful that you're part of what we're doing and so appreciative of all of you that have become patrons and are helping us to continue this mission. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know I say that a lot, but my goodness, it just feels so solid. (laughs) I want to say, I think we would be very curious to hear what some of your favorite books are. So please share with us. Remember, you can write to us on the page on our website on rewildyou.com for the podcast and you can email us yeah tell us what books you love and and how they've changed you our contact information again is right on our website rewildu.com wonderful well let's go read some of these books i think i need to pick up this one again and check it out because seven years eight years it's been a long time but it looks so good i'm gonna grab this one (laughs) (laughs) all right we will talk with you again soon love to you all